from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call this Monday night, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. So Israel is under attack. You've got 11 Americans dead, 900 Israelis were killed thus far. We have no Speaker of the House just yet in the United States. Our borders are wide open. Children continue to be trafficked into America for free labor and, and the sex trade. Fentanyl is pouring in. And the war machine must be uh, through the roof, filled with joy, as we're likely going to get into some sort of conflict. And all of this is because Joe El Baboso Biden doesn't know how to lead. He doesn't know how to make his presence felt like a man. That's what's going on. Just like every big city in America is losing their local target, their local big box store, Nordstrom, this one and that one. Stores are closing left and right because people are what they like to call shoplifting or mass shoplifting, but they're really flash mobs that are looting in broad daylight. That's happening because cops have been neutered and prosecutors are failing to prosecute crime. Pro-crime progressive prosecutors that are coddling criminals. It's the exact same scenario as Joe Biden failing to lead as the commander in chief. Now, I know some of you are saying, no, 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 Rich, it's not that. It's not the case at all. This isn't because Joe Biden is failing to lead. This is an orchestrated attempt to do what it, it might as well be. Whether it is or it isn't, the result remains the same. Right? We still have bedlam and chaos in American cities. Bedlam, chaos and carnage. In the Middle East. Yet Trump, El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, he's the bad guy. Right? He's still the bad guy. With 91 felony counts, four indictments, two impeachments, and zero new wars in four years. Trump is the bad guy. Not Joe El Baboso Biden or his, his uh, accomplice, Kemal Aires, the vice president of the United States. No, no, no. It's El Trumpito. It's you and it's me. Violent domestic extremists, domestic terrorists, people that care about their children and people who think men are men and women are women. We are the bad guy. Not the corporations that are trying to tax you to death through different initiatives like the uh, ESG uh, initiative, people that are trying to make you mine in the ground in foreign countries for nickel, uh, well, not nickel cadmium anymore. They don't really use that as much, but for lithium and for cobalt to create these rechargeable batteries that use more fossil fuels to get one of those batteries than it does to drive the car with gasoline in it. Unreal. This is where we are today. Everybody's going green. It seems like everybody's going crazy. This is the result of failed leadership. This is the result of a leadership vacuum. This is the result of somebody who just wants to feed the war machine or what they call the military industrial complex. 
because they need to do their thing. You know, it's interesting how El Trumpito, as bad as he was, he figured out how to still feed the military-industrial complex without any major conflict. They beat him up for going to visit with Kim Jong-un. They beat him up for absolute everything. And again, this is not uh, me on my soapbox to defend Trump. This is me on my soapbox to attack Joe Biden. This is me on my soapbox creating contrast between what can be where you can still play politics, where billions and billions of dollars can still go to these savages in the military-industrial complex that never met a war they didn't love. You could still appease those people. Let them build their bombs and sell their guns and hold the line. Yet, here we are, not holding anything. Instead, Hamas is now holding little kids as hostages. I saw the most disturbing video over the weekend. I mean, horrible. You know, oftentimes, when I was young, young and dumb, always trying to have some fun, I looked at things differently. Not that I'm an old man now, but, you know, I have kids that are grown, and you look at things through a different prism. And I got to tell you, I see a video of a girl. She's, I don't know, somewhere between 12 and 18. At least that's what she looked like to me. Hard to tell because she was really banged up. I think she's wearing a black T-shirt and gray sweatpants, and they pull her out of some car or out of a crowd, and then they shove her in the back of a Jeep. Bunch of guys with guns, terrorists from Hamas. My presumption is that she is Israeli and that they're doing this because this is what they've been doing all weekend, taking women, taking children, abusing them and killing them. This girl's pants are filled with blood. She's barefoot. They're dragging her. I mean, all I could think of was that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's sister, somebody's niece. That could be one of my children. And the feeling that you get in a moment like that, one of rage, one of sadness, one of empathy, one of disgust for what they're doing. It's a range of emotions, and it's difficult to process. It's difficult to imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. It's even more difficult to imagine what it's like to be in a country that's under attack. And yet, there's always two sides to every story, right? You, you go on the social media and then you start seeing the, the pro-Palestinian side saying that the Israelis are coming into the mosques and they're attacking people and replaying some older videos. And you've got other people saying, look, these people are fighting for their land. They've got nothing left. They've got nothing but homemade rockets they can't go against the Iron Dome. They can't go against the Israeli military. Their only chance to fight back for the land that they believe in, the land of their ancestors, is to kidnap little children. It's to kidnap young women. This is the only way they can defend themselves. And I like to think in the history of conflict, there's always somebody that does something shady like that. But in the history of conflict, men have typically squared off against men. Typically, right? In most major, right now in Ukraine, are Ukrainian men, uh, women and Russian women on the front lines battling each other? In the American Civil War, in the American Revolutionary War, World War I, World War II. Now, I'm not saying women have no place in the military and were not involved in these wars because they were. But what I am saying is, since when is it okay because you're out of options to kidnap small children and women? It's never okay. It's absolutely disgusting. It's an absolute act of cowardice. 
Nobody respects that. It's never been okay to do that. So everybody that's out there with their flag and this and that, standing up for the Palestinian Authority, standing up for uh, Hamas, standing up for uh, Iran, who just got six uh, trillion or billion, whatever that number was, six billion dollars from the Biden administration as a refund in their sanctions, because, hey, why not? Right. Hey, why not? Everybody who's standing up for them. I send a big radio bleep you. You have no idea what you're doing. People are dying. And this is eventually going to continue to hurt our country. There's more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. It's unfortunate that some are, um, in effect, uh, uh, saying things that may be motivated by politics at a time when so many lives have been lost and Israel remains under attack. And the facts are these uh, and uh, should be well known. Uh, This involved Iranian resources, not American taxpayer dollars. These were resources that uh, Iran had acquired from the sale of its oil that were stuck in a bank. Uh, in this case in in South Korea, they have always been entitled to use those funds under our law and under our sanctions for humanitarian purposes. Uh, And the funds were moved from one bank to another to facilitate that. Uh, By the way, not a single dollar from that account has actually been spent uh, to date. And in any event, it's very carefully and closely regulated by the Treasury Department to make sure that it's only used for food, for medicine, for medical equipment. So uh, some who are advancing uh, this false narrative They're either misinformed or they're misinforming. And either way, it's wrong. That's Anthony Blinken. And um, Secretary Blinken is a tremendous pendejo, in my words. Uh, I've got to tell you, you know, to say that we just gave Iran $6 billion and to say that the $6 billion that we gave them didn't fund this particular attack has got to be one of the biggest insults to the intelligence of any American who has a pulse. I hope that Secretary Blinken realizes that if I'm in the business of robbing banks and all of a sudden I decide to rob a politician, I don't know, hypothetically, let's say I rob Secretary Anthony Blinken and I've got a bunch of my bank robbery money sitting in my in my coffers. But I happen to take, I don't know, a million bucks from Secretary Blinken. And then I go and I do something bad with my money. Does it really make a difference if it was from the money I just stole from Blinken or the money I stole from the banks? The point is we know that I'm a bad guy and that when I have a lot of money, I'm going to do more bad things. It's kind of why we sanction these people to begin with. For him to suggest 
that it wasn't a penny from this particular refund uh, or release of sanctioned funds that Blinken, Biden, and the rest of the idiots in Washington released is incredibly insulting. I mean, just incredibly insulting. But they don't care. They don't care. And listen, I I try not to insult anybody's intelligence. I really don't. And if I do, give me a call and you can argue with me uh, because that's not my goal ever. But this is absolutely crazy. Crazy for him to even be talking about this with 11 Americans dead. And this is what they're saying. Disgusting. And, And it doesn't end. It's a cavalcade of responses from everybody. From everybody. MSNBC or NBC News. MSNBC. They've got Diana Butu. She's a former spokesperson for the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO. Remember Yasser Arafat? And she refuses to condemn Hamas, threatening to execute hostages. In effect, stop pretending that there is no occupation. This is her position. In an interview with Andrea Mitchell, on MSNBC earlier today. Listen to this. You have, you know, grievances against Israel and there have been, there has been violence on both sides over the years. But does that justify taking people out of their homes uh, of all ages? We're not talking about military people. We're talking about civilians, children and elderly people, uh, men and women, and taking them into Gaza and threatening to execute them. Again, uh, Andrea, I'm not the one who's doing this, so it shouldn't be me who's asked to comment on it. This isn't, you know, I live in a totally different place. What I do want people to understand is what life in the Gaza Strip is like. The Gaza Strip now, more than 50% of the population is under the age of 18. So we're talking about children here. There are 2 million Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip who've been living under this brutal siege. I think that if we really want to move forward, it's not just a question of asking me uh, whether whether there are condemnations or not, but but asking ourselves, what is it that can be done? And simply ignoring it, pretending that there is no occupation doesn't get us anywhere closer to actually making sure that people are able to live freely and in dignity and in peace uh, and in security. Forgive my oversimplification here, Miss Butu. But again, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn that lives in Jersey now and has a job where I speak on the radio. And all I can say is that if you have squatters, you don't get to go and steal people's children and kidnap women and then threaten to execute them. Now, perhaps that's rude. Perhaps uh, I'm misstating the facts. But when this woman comes on and says, you can't pretend there is no occupation. When there was this whole uh, Balfour Accord, which predates me for sure, I can't help but wonder and just say, you know, look, sometimes people get a raw deal. I realize that. And I'm all for people defending themselves. I'm all for people going George Washington and fighting against the king. I really am. But George Washington wasn't taking people's kids. He wasn't kidnapping anybody. He wasn't killing women in the streets. He wasn't threatening to execute anybody as as far as I know. They were fighting against the Redcoats. Men versus men. And they fought for this land. They didn't just try to 
you know, do something bad and then go and hide in a school and use children as human shields. This isn't something you do in war. Nobody does that in war. And if you do, you're disgusting. If you do, you deserve to die a thousand deaths. That's just the bottom line. So now Hamas is threatening to start executing hostages, some of which are American. And now they're saying they're going to do that one hostage at a time for every unannounced strike. The, the ones that the hostages being held in the Gaza Strip. With a quote from Qasem Brigades. Listen to this. Spokesman um, <clears throat> for uh, were the spokesman for um, Hamas. His name is Abu Obeidah. Listen. Any targeting of innocent civilians without warning will be met regretfully by executing one of the captives in our custody. And we will be forced to broadcast this execution. And this is what they said in a statement to Al Jazeera. So look, we regret to inform you that if you send missiles our way, we are going to kill innocent people, people that we just kidnapped. Now, the warning from Hamas, horrible. It comes as uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, intensified their bombing of Gaza. And video that's coming out of there shows the sky lighting up like like it's a lightning storm. And this is all happening uh, above Gaza. This, this uh, according to this piece in The Messenger, the size of the area that they're referencing here is about the size of the city of Omaha, Nebraska and has about 2 million people. It's considered one of the most densely populated places in the world. And of course, there are reports that there are Americans within uh, those being held captive as hostages. And the State Department, of course, doesn't even say if that's true or not. They just said they're working to confirm the report. Thank you, Secretary Blinken. Thank you, every other pendejo in Washington. Absolutely unacceptable. I don't care. If, if you're a Democrat, you should be ashamed if you support this type of thing. If you're a Republican and you support this, you should be ashamed. If you're a Republican and think that this is all some wag the dog, feed the war machine type of deep state drama, false flag event, I say shame on you too. This is people that are taking advantage of American weakness. And I, I can assure you, it's very real. We'll be right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. Taking your calls on this topic and everything else we're going to get into tonight. We're also going to talk about wokeism in schools, 
how it's affecting parents, how it's affecting corporations. Uh, there's a lot of wokeness out there. And is the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, losing its grip? Hopefully, uh, we're going to talk about that as well. But in the meantime, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number if you want to weigh in on this uh, is attack on Israel that, like usual, people seem to be torn about. And my argument here is that I don't think that we would be in a situation like the one we're in if we had the right leader in place. I'll make the example for Trump because he was the last president and I think he was effective. But honestly, anybody with a, uh, a brass set would do. Anybody who stands up for America and people realize that this person means business. Lamentably, Joe El Baboso Biden is not that person. You need someone that people are going to take seriously. And we're going to get to your calls in a moment. But Michael Herzog, he's the Israeli ambassador to the United States. He was on Face the Nation yesterday. And he says, listen, whoever strikes Israel, we're going to strike back. And if we have to take the fight to Iran, we will. Listen to this. Hamas is armed and funded by Iran. The Biden administration says they don't have evidence that Iran was linked to this particular attack. Does Israel have evidence they were? Well, uh, we suspect Iranian hands behind the scenes. Uh, as you know, Hamas and Iran are closely tied. Iran provides uh, material support, funding, uh, weapons to Hamas. Uh, they are tied in what they call the axis of resistance, of course, resistance to the existence of the state of Israel. They are part of the same coalition. So uh, as far as we are concerned, uh, this is an Iranian-led coalition, and uh, we suspect that uh, Iran is involved. Does that mean Israel will take the fight to Iran? I'm not going to say what exactly Israel is going to do, but uh, I would just say that whoever strikes Israel will strike back. Again, that's Michael Herzog, Israeli ambassador to the United States on Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. And I got to say, good for them. You know what? That's the attitude, right? That's the resolve that you need. The resolve of my whole family will die, but we're going to die fighting. And again, that's the resolve that many of the Palestinians are using, but they're breaking the rules. It's one thing to be the ambassador and say these things and put your military forward. It's another thing to go and kidnap women and children and then hide behind them. Right? This is legitimately what's what's going on. And I, I got to tell you, this is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I, I can't imagine a situation where, where, where people would do that, honestly. Um, Perhaps it's my own naivete, and it's not their first rodeo. They've been doing this forever. But when you see it happening, when I've never seen as many videos as I have in the last 48 hours of little kids literally stuffed into cages, of, of teenage girls being dragged into Jeeps. I've just never seen it. it. It's absolutely horrific. Absolutely horrific. And another question that comes to mind is, how does this all happen? How is it? that the Mossad, the CIA, American National Security Establishment, are they that good? Is Hamas really that sophisticated? Is Iran that effective that they can pull off this type of attack without 
tipping off anybody without anybody knowing anything or becoming any bit the wiser? Because I've got to think that we, we should have the best of the best out there. And I've got to think right now, we don't. That's alarming to me. And again, I understand nobody has a crystal ball and nobody really knows exactly what's going on other than that there's massive shelling. But it's, in my opinion, it's very, very disconcerting what we're facing. Now, I want you to hear a quick clip from Benjamin Netanyahu. He's at a news conference today, and he said, look, we didn't start this war, but we will end it. Check this out. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish people were stateless, once the Jewish people were defenseless, no longer. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling. Slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival, kidnapping scores of women, children, and elderly, even Holocaust survivors. Hamas terrorists bound, burned, and executed children. They are savages. Hamas is ISIS. And just as the forces of civilizations united to defeat ISIS, the forces of civilization must support Israel in defeating Hamas. I want to thank President Biden for his unequivocal support. I want to thank leaders across the world who are standing with Israel today. I want to thank the people and Congress of the United States of America. In fighting Hamas, Israel is not only fighting for its own people, it is fighting for every country that stands against barbarism. Israel will win this war. And when Israel wins, the entire civilized world wins. Now, listen, you could write that off off as theatrics, as rhetoric, as political speak. But I'm going to tell you, I believe in the symbolism of standing up to what he's talking about, barbarism. The next terrorist group that decides, you know what, we don't when we don't get our way, we're going to kidnap women and children and we're going to just change the rules of the game of how you fight. And we're just going to do that. When you let people get away with doing something bad, they're going to do it more. When you let people loot in the middle of the day, they're going to loot every store they can find in the middle of the day. When you disarm the population but arm the criminals, you're going to have an increase in crime. Whatever bad behavior is rewarded will continue and will be exacerbated. That's just a fact of life. It's human nature. If there's no consequence, they'll continue. And for the sake of the rest of this globe, for the sake of the future of all of our children collectively, you have to stand up to this type of fighting. You have to stand up to this type of crazy. Because if you don't, it'll continue and continue and it'll get worse. That's my opinion. What's yours? 833-4825-337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Michigan. Check in with Kim. She's on KDKA Online. Go right ahead. 
Hi, Rich. I'm so glad you're covering um, the attack on Israel so much tonight. People need to know what's going on there. Um, and I hope, this is my opinion, but I hope that Benjamin Netanyahu blasts the Gaza Strip down to the ground and leaves nothing. And then I hope he goes drops a lot of bombs underground into the tunnel system they have under the Gaza Strip because they would use those tunnels to periodically go under the fences in Israel and kill and kidnap and stuff people. So I I stand with Bibi and a lot of people here do. And I would fear what Bibi Netanyahu has to say, just as if President Trump said it. I would I would if I were these bad people, the Hamas. Uh, I would fear what came out of Bibi or President Trump's mouth because I, you can book on it. And I just I feel so sorry for these people. And uh, I, I I don't know. It's it's very upsetting that that the Israeli people have to live in in the neighborhood they're in and go through this. And they mind their own business. They're decent, hardworking people, and and they have to go through something this awful, you know, you know what I mean? I'm so glad you're covering it. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. And uh, again, I cover it for the sake of what I just said. I think we have to pay attention to this stuff. If we don't pay attention to this stuff, it'll continue and it'll be right at our front step. Eventually, this is how people are going to continue their modern warfare by kidnapping kids and doing what they're doing. And in my opinion, it's already happening and they're kidnapping these kids and they're bringing them across the border and we're seeing it happen that way. So, folks, we're going to continue with your calls and the rest of our discussions. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back uh, to the phones we go. Let's do it, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Robert Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead quickly. Yes, hi, good evening. I just wanted to say that I, that, that I heard what Bibi Netanyahu said, and he is such a smart man. He, had, he hits the nail right on the head every time. He knows exactly what to put it, say it and exactly how to say it. And I, I, I think God gave us a present of, him, of, of having him available at the time we needed him. He got back into office, and he's, and he's helping us to get back on track. And, and I, I have every confidence in him. He is so smart, and, that, and, I, and that's about all I have to say, really. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it, and I think you're right. Just imagine the state of affairs in Israel had they not had an, a leader that was as experienced with dealing with this as Netanyahu. Now, I know there are people, critics of his, I uh, had some work done on my house today, and believe it or not, I didn't bring it up, but <laughs> the guy doing the work on my house, he says, um, 
he says, you know, and this Netanyahu, he had a bunch of controversy. And, you know, this is a lot. A lot of this has to do with him because they don't like him. And I thought to myself, you know, nobody goes and attacks and kills people because they don't like you. They do that because they want to kill people. That's number one, right? Number two is whether you like the guy or not, he's dealt with this and he knows how to deal with it. And and I think as another person, when he says he's going to do something, you know, this guy's going to die trying. And, and that's the type of resolve that you need. Because when you have weak leadership, you have no leadership at all. Robert, thank you. Big shout out to WTMA South Carolina. Let's swing it over to the East Coast and go to Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Check in with Sue. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. First, I want to thank you for your impassioned comments when you opened your show. Because ever since I've seen this happening, I've been feeling the same way. I'm just heartsick over it. I just I can't even believe that this, it is. It's terrible. And we have no leader. We have weakness in the White House. And, um, and this news that Iran helped them plan this. And then I don't know if you read about this John Malley guy who used to be our envoy to Iran. Oh, yeah. We had a whole big story on him on Friday. Yeah. And you know, so that's another thing. And uh, people say, OK, you know, uh, we had an intelligence failure, did we? Or were we really behind a lot of stuff? I, I really... The fact that they possibly have weapons from Afghanistan that we left behind. And then we mm-hmm. had Biden having a barbecue last night. And then he was so tuckered out. Uh, he had to call a lib today by 1130 in the day. I mean, he's having a nappy. I, I just I'm like, I'm furious. I'm, I'm upset. I'm hurt. I, I feel yeah. for those people. When, you know, when I saw that same video that you saw, I was just I was sick and that stopped me dead in my tracks. I, I'm just so I wanted to thank you for your comments because that mirrors exactly, you know, how I feel about it and how cowardly to take people like that. And it's mm. just I just I'm holding my breath. I, you know, are the stars aligned some weird way? I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. There's some sort of eclipse coming. Maybe that's why everybody's uh, freaking out. But I got to tell you, so I think you're spot on. And it really is sad. It's this is. You know, I guess we've become accustomed to getting hit over the head with bad news domestically. The the inflation number goes sky high and then it comes down a hair and Biden's throwing a party. You've got the border and they, they built 20, uh, 20 miles of border wall. And Biden's like, they've twisted my arm. I got hairy legs, whatever the case is. And it's kind of laughable at times, even though it's it, it's a problem, but it's our problem. But when you start to see our problems spilling over because they don't call the president the leader of the free world for nothing. And I don't mean Biden. I mean the president of the United States, whomever it, it is, whomever is the occupant of the Oval Office. There's a certain um, degree of commitment that goes with this job. And it's clear to me that Joe Biden has never even been able to abdicate that responsibility because he's never taken on that mantle of responsibility. He's a disgrace, in my opinion. And uh, I'm really... Um, I'm I'm really um, like you said, I'm hurt and I'm ashamed and I'm all sorts of things at the response that Biden and his administration are or the lack of response or the lack of leadership or however we want to phrase it. Biden's absolutely terrible on this. Anyway, uh, the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. 
So Prime Minister Netanyahu says we have to go into Gaza right now. There's no time to negotiate. President Joel Baboso Biden says, I'm going to give a speech. BB, don't worry. I'll give you a speech. What is it that Biden's doing? Lord only knows. Right? He's going to promise this. He's going to promise that. He's going to send them the smallest rockets we have. He's going to send them very few of the biggest ones we have. He's definitely not going to treat them like Ukraine because, of course, Biden's the one sending $6 billion to Iran who's funding all sorts of drama. You know, it's funny, a week ago, not funny, but funny, funny, hmm, not funny, haha. It's funny how Biden sends this money or, you know, releases these sanctions back to Iran. And, you know, they're saying, look, no, no, no. And everybody's up in arms. Everybody's up in arms saying Iran is the number one state uh, sponsor of terror in the globe. We had uh, Brian Leib on the show, former executive director of uh, Iranian Americans for Liberty. And he says, look, this is eventually going to make its way to an attack. Here we are. I don't know. That was, what, 10 days ago? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. And that's not a slight on Brian Live. I'm just saying he was spot on in his analysis. But it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that when you have a, a parliament that opens up their, their session of parliament with chance of death to America and death to Israel, what else can you expect? I mean, take a second and listen to what it sounds like when they start parliament in Iran. Check this out. Now, listen, I'm no translator, but that means death to America, death to Israel. The big Satan and the little Satan, they hate our guts and they do this all the time. We open up with the Pledge of Allegiance to the chagrin of many Democrats, but at least we honor our own country. These people curse our country when they open up their session of parliament. William Springfield, Missouri, KRMS. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Uh, yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for uh, Netanyahu because he said thank you to President Biden for his support. I mean, he's saying thank you to to a loser administration that that supported the terrorist countries in the first place to pull this stuff, you know. And you also, know, William, I, I read. Go ahead. I read this Quickly. book about the about the Bidens called Riding the Dragon about you know all the stuff that got sold out. You know. Uh, oh, from the Afghanistan withdrawal, and yeah, look at that. Some of that has now made its way. It's been proliferated to the uh, to the battlefield in 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 Israel and Gaza and the the Palestinians. I shouldn't say the Palestinians. I should say Hamas are are using it against them. Uh, th- this is exactly the case. You're right. I mean, this is Bibi Netanyahu. Not, take two Netanyahu being a gentleman, being a scholar, being a statesman, and trying to be respectful, but lamentably. He he doesn't. I mean, he could say, "Hey, f you, Joe Biden," but that's not going to help. Right. He needs whatever help he can get because we're their biggest ally. And again, we need Israel as an ally in the Middle East because they're our biggest ally in that region. So the whole thing is horrible. Raymond, I wanted to get with you this segment. I couldn't get to you. Hopefully you'll stick around and we can take your call in a little bit. Folks, we're going to continue our conversation just like there's an attack on Israel. There's an attack on kids and parents and our culture. We're going to discuss that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you this Monday night as we discuss everything that's going on in America at night and, of course, um, things that are going on in Israel at night as well. Now, we, we talked a lot about Israel. We talked about, you know, what the White House is going to do. Joe Biden has pledged his support, and, of course, he's come through. They have now illuminated the White House with white and blue lights in honor of the Israeli flag. I don't know how much more Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli people can count on, what type of support, other than the $6 billion sent to Iran. Uh, you can always count on some blue lights from Joel Baboso Biden. And the same way that Biden gives us lip service on what's going on in the world and how he's just tacitly sitting by while the world is burning to hell. Similar is happening in our culture. Similar is happening to the children that are attending public schools all across America with too few administrators actually caring enough and having the gall to step up and say, hey, look, this isn't right. This is not what we do. But it, it continues to happen. And when they do, they're chastised. Recently, you may have heard that the uh, superintendent of schools uh, in Oklahoma, Ryan Walters, um, he's been targeted, he's been shamed, he's been criticized by newspapers and the media for sharing posts from the libs of TikTok. <clears throat> now, I share stuff from libs of TikTok all the time. So I guess nobody would want me to be their superintendent. And I don't blame you for that. But the things that you hear on libs of TikTok, you likely won't hear anywhere else. Now, you've play, I've played this clip before, you've heard it before, but I want to remind you of this one TikTok activist trying to promote their um, gender ideology on children, now saying that cisness, what they call cisgender, meaning um, being born how you were born, is the disease. And then he goes after God and everything else. Listen to this. Y'all really want to try to say there aren't trans kids? Let me tell you what there aren't. There aren't cis kids. Okay, you telling your child, oh, you're a boy, you're a girl. This is a child. This is a free spirit that has not learned any of that bullshit. And so you force it on them. So cisness is the wound. Cisness is the delusion. Cisness is the lie. Cisness is the place of pain. Transness is the healing. Transness is the growth. Transness is the truth. Transness is what we actually are. We are fluid. We are 70% water. We are God. God is change. God is trans. We are trans. You are forcing your kids to be boys and girls. We're saying, be whatever you are, baby. Be free, be water, be light, be sky, be God, because guess what? That's what we actually are. What we actually are is trans, is change, is love. We're not the ones doing the forcing. And see God chiming just on time. Again, this crazy TikTok activist, and I forget his name and whatever, 
we, we, we got to pray for a guy like this, right? You know, Father, have mercy on this guy's soul. He doesn't know what he's doing. Saying that God is trans and that kids can be anything they want to be and that we are bad for forcing our male children to be boys and our female children to be girls. What, what, what a controversy. And then, you know, the, the libs of TikTok founder, uh, Kaya Reshik, she, um, she's been on this program. She's remarkable, in my opinion. And uh, something that the Oklahoma State Superintendent of Schools, Ryan Walters, said got him in trouble. He said that Kaya Reshik has done more for transparency and accountability in schools than most elected office holders. And I got to say, I agree with that. There's so much. Listen, I am a school board member at a charter school in New Jersey, and I can tell you I have seen this woman and everything she's put on her channel on the libs of TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, wherever it is that you get your information if you're following her information. And she's not adding commentary. There might be a caption occasionally, but she's giving you exactly what they're putting out. And I agree with the statement that the superintendent put out, and he's our guest right now, Superintendent Ryan Walters. Welcome, sir. Well, I sure appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate the introduction. And, you know, it is amazing to watch the left literally blame those like Kaya, who is actually helping um, parents see what's going on in their schools by showing their own words. And yet you see the response of the left. They, they think that this should can be completely hidden from parents. They're lashing out at those that are actually bringing transparency and accountability to our schools. And so I'm going to continue to stand with her and, and with what she's doing. And I'm going to continue to stand with parents because ultimately this is what this is an assault on are, are our parents. The godless left is normalizing mental illness. They're normalizing an abnormally high suicide rate. And they're normalizing the idea that parents don't have sovereignty over their children. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. What the left is trying to do is they're trying to drive to students the belief that there's you know 27 genders, you're gender fluid. They're trying to break down the family unit. They're trying to pull kids away from their faith. And what you're seeing is that's why they're so hellbent on driving parents from the process and from the conversation because they know that a parent wouldn't want this to happen to their kid. They want to be involved in their child. They want their child to understand truth. They want their child to be able to learn through academic processes so that they can become a, a uh, you know, more well-rounded human and be able to go get a job and be able to have a family. But what you see is social engineering that's being orchestrated by the Biden administration, by radical left-wing groups funded by George Soros, and by our teachers' unions. These have all organized together a very strategic plan in order to create Democrat voters, and you're seeing it in schools across the country, and we have got to fight back and get these schools back under control. Mr. Superintendent Ryan Walters, I want to ask you, when you met with uh, Kaya Rachik and uh, made the statement that you did, that she's done more for transparency and accountability in schools than most elected office holders, what was the response that you got? <laughs> so the response that I got were, first of all, in our state, the Democrats called for my impeachment and removal from office. Um, our local newspapers, our biggest newspapers called for my resignation, said I was a danger to our schools, um, asked me to quit sharing her content, asked me to disassociate with her. And frankly, what this told me is exactly what we all knew to be true, which is she is an incredible, 
um, you know, bringing light to the darkness. She is doing an incredible job taking on the radical left and showing what they're trying to push into our schools. And so, yeah, that, that's the reaction. They want me to not share her content. They want me to make an agreement not to share it anymore. And I've said, that's ridiculous. She is providing the transparency that our parents have so desired. And your attacks on her, frankly, the, the radical left attacking me, attacking her, it's frankly, it's an attack on parents. It's an attack on kids. They think that they own these kids. These bureaucrats, these left-wing ideologues believe that actually they are the ones who should determine what the kids hear, what the kids know, not parents. Um, there shouldn't be transparency. And so it's just absolutely outrageous. But the left has just come unhinged here in Oklahoma demanding my resignation. And, I, and that's definitely not going to happen. And good for you for standing up to that because – uh, too many people have to. I was sharing earlier that I have I had some work done in my house today and uh, the guy doing the work, we were talking about a lot of things and he, about all the news of the day. And he was not in agreement with me on a lot of things. But when it came to this, we were in staunch agreement. And he said, listen, there's no negotiation from me. I refuse to play their game. It's a 57 year old African-American guy. He said, I will not call a boy a girl. I will not call a, a, a man a woman. I, I won't play this game. And, and, and I was happy to hear that. And I, and I feel, and he said, and there's not enough people stepping up and talking about it. And this is an interesting issue because it transcends what would normally be party lines in politics. I think people, anybody with a child, you know, my Instagram, I get a lot of these uh, direct messages on Instagram from moms that are otherwise pro-choice and pro-this and pro-that and not conservative by any means. But when it gets to this issue, they're saying, this is crazy. I'm sending my little girl or my little boy to school, and I expect to get my little girl or my little boy back at the end of the day a little bit smarter than I sent them and not doing this. I think the problem lies where parents have kind of accepted the idea, I guess the pressure from the left, thinking that, listen, if my kid comes home and tells me that, you know, uh, little Susie wants to be little Bobby, then I have to respect her and have to help her through that because I love my child unconditionally. What do you say to a parent like that? So I think your your assessment is spot on. So I, I ran, I, I was elected to this office, uh, a statewide mm -hmm. office. So I traveled around the state of Oklahoma, all 77 counties, and I, I'm a staunch proponent of school choice. I advocated for school choice. I advocated for rejection of the federal government's intrusion into our schools. And then I, I advocated for getting this woke nonsense out of schools, getting this transgenderism push on our kids out, getting the sexual content out of our schools. And I heard from Republicans, independents, and Democrats all over the state that said, listen, on that issue right there, we agree. I mean, what you see here is it's even radical for most in the Democrat Party, but the Democrat Party has been hijacked by the most radical elements we've seen in our society to want to push this nonsense on our kids. And what the way that they've seen success is because of the bullying and targeting that they do towards anyone who speaks out against it. And I'm going to tell you, they come after you hard. They come after you with threats. They come after your family. They come after you on social media. They They dox you. They do all of this to anyone. We've got school board officials here in the state that have spoken out on this issue as well with me. Oh, my goodness. They show up at the board meetings or yelling, screaming. They follow me around town, all of this stuff. They, they really try to be this small group that will just be so loud, 
so threatening, so obnoxious that most people go, look, I'm not going to deal with it. You know, I I don't, I don't want to deal with all this, but it is time that we have got to stand up, you know, and that's what I keep telling folks around the state and conservatives, parents, guys, this is a war on our kids. Okay. This is a war for their minds. Frankly, it's a war for their souls. And we have got to hold the line. And if we will stand out and speak out and be articulate on this, parents of all backgrounds will will, will stand up as well. But what's going to happen is if we don't stand up and we allow this woke mob to dominate our school system, we're not going to have a country anymore and we're not going to have a society. So we have to do this right now. We have to stand firm. And I'm going to tell you, it cuts across those party lines when Mm -hmm. you stand up for common sense and truth. Folks, we're on with Ryan Walters. He's a state superintendent of schools in Oklahoma under attack for standing up for little boys, little girls, and their parents and their rights to just be. Uh, We're coming right back with Superintendent Walters. Straight ahead, don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. Now, if you remember listening to this program on Friday, I played this clip of audio every segment, every hour that we did on Friday. And I'm going to play it again for our guest, uh, Superintendent from Oklahoma, Ryan Walters. Uh, This is Stacey Robostelli. It's about a half a minute, 30 seconds. Uh, she's director of education and administration at an organization known as High Tops. It's an LGBTQ nonprofit group focused on bringing queer theory and gender ideology into schools. And she says the best time to be in the classroom is grades five through eight. But she doesn't stop there. She says we have to get into kindergarten through second grade because that's when you can do early intervention before they start puberty. Listen to this. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. Superintendent Walters, welcome back. You heard this audio. How do you react to that? Yeah, this is every parent's worst nightmare. And, you know, when I talk to parents, this is their biggest concern. Uh, when they're dropping their kids off at school, that they have a social justice warrior that has taken their kids and trying to get them to change their gender, getting them to become more sexual as a child, getting them to convert to a different type of sexuality. I mean, the reality is, is parents are mortified that these conversations are going on behind their backs. And when you see the continuing targeting of parents, the continuing fight against transparency in our schools. You see, this is all part of a strategy from the far left. They literally want to create these overly sexualized young people. And it's as dangerous 
It is destroying the lives of young people by confusing them about gender fluidity, confusing them about sexual identity at, at young ages. And this is where we have to put an end to this. The, the, the far left is absolutely after your kids and parents. They told you forever, you know, I've heard this for years. It's not really happening. Oh, what, what, what are you talking about? You, you conservatives are making this up. I hear about it every week. We continue to see here in Oklahoma, we discovered we have a drag queen running one of our elementary schools here in the state of Oklahoma. Wow. I have called for that person's resignation. And then guess what else we found out? That drag queen hired another drag queen to work as a teacher's assistant inside the school. And I'm sitting here, we're going to hold that school accountable. Parents are mortified. But again, we have heard from the, the mainstream media that this isn't going on. We've been told as conservatives, you guys are making this stuff up. It's not happening. Parents, they're telling you not to believe your eyes. It is happening all over the place. You know, it's funny. Anybody listening to this program, and there's people from all over that listen, uh, they're going to hear you saying it's the far left this and the far left that, and they're thinking to themselves, it's really the the radical far right conservatives that want to jam Jesus down everybody's throat. Would you say that's a fair comparison? No, I, th- I think it's uh, I think that's outrageous. And you know, and this is what you know you've got to you've got to take a look at this from the perspective of what we have seen conservatives. What have conservatives asked for in their schools? What we have asked for is we want to return to a back to the basics. We've launched a back to the basics plan here in Oklahoma in our education system. What I want is reading, writing, arithmetic. I want real American history. That means focused on primary sources, what actually happened. Okay, and when you study that, guess what? You come away with the understanding of what made America great. You understand American exceptionalism. And, yeah, you understand that there were Judeo-Christian values that were embedded in our in our country. That's history. That's what happened. We're not mm-hmm. trying to indoctrinate. We're not trying to push anything. What we're trying to do is have kids see what made America great and follow the facts. But what you see from the left is not that at all. What they want is they want to – push an ideology. They want to push sexuality. They want to make the determination that America is an evil racist place by taking out parts of our history. They don't want a deep understanding of the Constitution. We continue to see our history taken out of history books. Uh, we're putting this back in our schools here in Oklahoma, and this needs to go on all over the country. Mr. Superintendent Ryan Walters, I want to thank you for being with us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Keep up the good work, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you very much. You bet. Godspeed. Folks, we continue our discussion on wokeness and how it's affecting corporations. Is it working? Is it not working? More to come straight ahead with Jonathan Butcher. Don't go anywhere. Familia, welcome back. And I want to continue our discussion on how wokeism continues to affect our society. And I want to do it with none other than somebody I've affectionately nicknamed the Butch. Jonathan Butcher, he's the Will Skillman Senior Research Fellow in Education Policy at the Center for Education Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Jonathan Butcher, welcome, sir. Thank you. Great to be with you. 
All right. So let's uh, let's dig in here because this is an interesting topic. We hear about it often, but the take on this one is that, or the question I should say is, is diversity, equity, and inclusion losing its hold on college campuses? And I would love to hear a resounding yes. I don't know what the answer is. What say you, Jonathan Butcher? I absolutely think that it is. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, people were afraid to question the idea that they should have to sit through some sort of training at their workplace telling them that they were guilty of oppression just because of the color of their skin. But now people are not afraid to say that anymore. Uh, Corporations are increasingly uh, getting rid of chief diversity officers. They're uh, taking them off the payroll. Uh, They're also not talking about them during earnings calls. They're not talking about DEI during earnings calls. And that may sound like a small thing, but that's uh, a sign of what a company's priorities are. And uh, the decline, as noted by the Wall Street Journal, has been pretty significant over the past year. Uh, I think what we are discovering uh, is that people uh, aren't afraid anymore to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, it is racist to say that I am guilty of doing something committed by someone in a prior generation just because they share the same skin color with me. It's not fair to tell me that I have some sort of inherent bias that I can't control or that uh, just because I say something that might have an offensive uh, effect right, on somebody that I'm mm-hmm. committing some sort of microaggression. right? I mean, I think people need to grow up and act like adults, and I think they are. Hopefully. Uh, one can only hope. Now, do you think that this is happening because people are pushing back, the corporations are realizing uh, this wasn't a good idea, or perhaps they said, look, we're going to put these DEI officers in place because in you know May of 2020, the world is, is a mess and we have to be socially responsible. And in the wake of that, they say, all right, look, the, you know, the, the bubble has burst. Less less people are are subscribing to to the woke agenda, so we're gonna let it dissipate. It wasn't really that they were pushing it; they were just trying to to play the role so that they wouldn't come under heat from from guys like Sharpton or whatever, or some combination thereof. Well, I, I think that what they've discovered is that DEI was hollow to begin with, right? The original mm. meanings of these words, right? Diversity equity and inclusion, they used to mean, right, a plurality of ideas. It used to mean um, that we people were equal under the law. We used to call that equality. And inclusion used to mean that you would include somebody regardless of their skin color, that you would treat them as an equal, and that you wouldn't question uh, whether or not they had some sort of inherent or systemic uh, bias that they were bringing to any sort of, uh, you know, corporate function or, say, a university setting. But all of that's been twisted, and really it's been twisted by critical race theory since the 1960s. Um, Even though critical race theory is a child of the late 80s, early 90s, the core elements of Marxism and systemic oppression were, were, you know, they were evident in the 1960s coming out of what was known as uh, critical theory, and then it became critical legal theory. There were different offshoots of feminism that sort of borrowed from Marxism, this idea that people, uh, that the world is sort of a zero-sum game between oppressed and oppressors. So this concept of DEI was, was even alive back then, that you had to treat people differently, um, and that their um, experience and the systems of oppression around us mattered more than individual behavior. And that's really what it comes down to, right? DEI removes from individuals 
a culpability or a responsibility for uh, their choices and their decisions. Uh, we're really just, according to DEI, we're just uh, acting according to the systemic oppression that's happening around us. But look, what we are seeing today in universities is uh, that governors in places like Florida and Texas are saying uh, these departments, these DEI offices have no place on our universities. They will not be spreading their uh, bigotry and dogma um, on college campuses. So they're defunding them. They're saying you cannot use public money to pay for these anymore. Um, you had the Supreme Court decision earlier this year, the students for, for fair cases, mm-hmm. that basically Supreme Court issued a warning and said, look, if we're going to eliminate discrimination anywhere, we have to do it everywhere. Jonathan Butcher, uh, straight ahead, I want you to stick with us. I want to get your take on whether DEI has just been replaced with the LGBTQ movement on college campuses. Folks, stick with us. We're on with Jonathan Butcher from the Heritage Foundation. He's got an amazing book that you should definitely check out. It's called Splintered. Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. Make sure you grab a copy or two. And again, our phone number, if you want to join in the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So the United States has uh, awarded more than $4.1 billion in grants for LGBTQ and transgender initiatives uh, across the world, not just in the United States. This is a piece in the Epic Times. And I've got to say, this is, you know, disappointing, but not surprising. And it makes me think, did DEI go to die so that LGBTQ could flourish again? Jonathan Butcher, what say you? No, I mean, these are closely related movements. Um, In fact, the critical theory that came out of the 1920s and 1930s that, um, you know, those who went to college in the 60s and 70s kind of real, you know, recognized as part of the rebellion that happened during that time, it is deeply intertwined with uh, the radical sexual movements that were happening at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. If you look at uh, today, the goals of the Black Lives Matter movement, you see about as many goals related to so-called transgender or LGBTQ plus whatever objectives as you do racial objectives. I mean, these two movements are both are both based around the same kinds of ideas about disrupting culture and society, about undermining um, traditional family values, um, as they are about racial issues. Um, and so I think that these, these things are very closely related. Uh, they move in tandem. I mean, if you look at DEI webpages of colleges around the country, you'll see they are often advertising uh, the same kinds of support for LGBTQ and so-called gender uh, movements and activities as they are race-related uh, movements and activities. Yeah, and I think uh, I'd read somewhere that uh, Bell's critical theory really splintered off in a bunch of directions as critical race theory, cri- critical queer theory, or critical gender theory, and uh, they're all kind of birds of a feather. Um, do, you, do you see this dissipating, or do you think this is still alive and well, this arm of it? 
Well, so critical theory came from the Frankfurt School in the 1920s. Yes. Uh, that, as it sounds like, came out of Germany. They came to the United States and settled at Columbia. It turned into critical legal theory. Um, it really kind of morphed uh, in, into it. When Derek Bell came along and Kimberly Crenshaw and others created critical race theory, critical gender theory was already alive and well. I mean, it was, uh-huh. um, again, this borrowing from Marxism, the same sort of oppressive message that the world is divided between the marginalized and those who had power. Um, so I think what we, you know, I think what we are looking at is um, something that's, you know, it's going to be with us, uh, I think, for a long time. I and mean, there's, Marxism has this appeal, right, that if we can only um, sort of rebel against whatever we feel like is some sort of ruling authority, we can create this utopia. Um, but the fact is that you know, man has all sorts of imperfections, right? I mean, humanity in general. And so, you know, as our founding fathers realized, we need a system of government with different representative stations. Uh, We need the legislative branch. We need the judicial branch. We need the executive branch. We need a federal government. We need state governments. We need these different layers to protect us from ourselves, right? To protect us from a majority uh, that would oppress a minority, to protect us from a minority that would... um, gain and um, undue influence. Um, so, you know, we have to recognize that really what we are doing with our constitutional republic is we're protecting us from ourselves. There is no Marxist utopia that um, we're ever, that we're reaching towards. And uh, we're going to have to fight this intellectual battle, um, you know, I, I think for, uh, uh, for a long time. But, you know, I do think today, I think we're winning. And, uh, and I think we see that in a couple of sectors of, uh, of culture and society. We must protect ourselves from the tyranny, uh, tyranny of the majority and the tyranny of the minority. Folks, we're on with Jonathan Butcher from the Heritage Foundation. He's got an amazing book, and you definitely need to get a copy of that. Uh, the title of the book, Splintered, Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. And when we come back, I want uh, Jonathan Butcher, a.k.a. The Butch, to tell us a little bit about why the progressives have a war on truth. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, folks, welcome back. We're on with Jonathan Butcher. Uh, He's a Will Skillman Research Fellow in Education Policy at the Heritage Foundation. And he is also the author of the book. Where did it go? Hold on a second. Don't go anywhere. I'll give you the book in a minute. But I want to remind you that he's got an excellent article. And the article that I'm looking at is North Carolina Families Win with Passage of Universal Education Choice Eligibility 
brand new law, big victory, I think the ninth or 10th big victory uh, lately on school choice. Again, we're on with Jonathan Butcher. He's the author of Splintered Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. And before we learn about why the progressives have a war on truth, Jonathan Butcher, would you tell us a little bit about uh, the significance of this win? Sure. So North Carolina is now the ninth state in the United States that has a universal school choice program. It's a school choice program that will be available to every child in the state. Um, many school choice nice. programs um, have been enacted just in the past uh, past year, past two years especially. This year we saw Iowa, Utah, Oklahoma, uh, to name just a few, Arkansas, um, all adopt provisions that allow children to apply for either a scholarship or an account-style scholarship that would allow them to choose how and where they learn. Uh, so it's not just a private school anymore. I mean, they can pick a personal tutor. They can find a, um, a, a education therapist. They can buy online classes. I mean, the, really the um, the, the variety is, is, is just um, a new, just a new phase of the school choice movement today, because it's not just about finding a place. It's really about a whole experience that parents can create. And that's really exciting. I mean, it's exciting for kids with special needs. It's exciting for kids who have fallen behind uh, coming out of the pandemic. So uh, it really, it should give us hope for the future. Uh, amen to that. Uh, we, uh, Lord knows we need hope for the future and, and for our children. Now, your book, um, you, you spell it out just, I think, wonderfully. Uh, tell us, uh, in a nutshell, why the progressive have such a war on truth. Well, I mean, you know, when you think back to where we were at the beginning of the 20th century, we had what was just called traditional theory, right? It was the idea that man could improve himself by science. Uh, there was Enlightenment rationalism. There was, um, you know, this idea that... Um, we were responsible for our own actions. There was this, you know, the, the, the knowledge that there were facts that had occurred in the past that we should base our future decisions on the experiences of those who, you know, came before. Now, of course, we didn't live this out perfectly, but, but that was the general idea, right, behind what we knew as traditional mm-hmm. theory. Well, critical theory came along as a gadfly to that existing theory, right? It came to, uh, as the name suggests, criticize uh, what we knew as traditional theory, and um, that it really it took the notion that there are objective facts that we can use to make decisions in the future, uh, and it it sort of discarded that, and it said instead we should just rely on our experience, and people bring different experiences um, in their lives to any conversation or any current uh, situation, and that experience is something that only they can explain or describe, and so we have to adjust society to accommodate whatever experience uh, they bring. And, you know, this, on the one hand, may sound sort of sensitive and empathetic, but what it's really doing is it's saying that there is no truth, right? There is no truth, there are no facts, there is only experience. And if you live in a world where there are no facts, and where there is nothing that you can sort of um, tie your, you know, set your anchor down uh, into, then um, we are kind of at the whim of emotions, right? And uh, we're at the whim of um, people's uh, changing attitudes, and uh, and you wind up with 
a kind of a loss of traditional structures, right? You're at, you lose the uh, tradition of family. You lose the tradition of religion. You lose faith, right? You lose the things on which, you know, we have built so many of our institutions, right, in society and culture. And um, it's really, it's a disruptive and a destructive uh, way of viewing the world. And so that's, that's why my subtitle for my book was called The Progressive War on Truth, because, um, you know, if there, if there is a set of facts, if there is uh, a, a body of knowledge that we can use to help us in the future, um, then, you know, that, that would then mean that uh, progressives um, have to admit that there is right and wrong, right? They have to admit that there are um, things that happened in the past that we can learn from and that we can uh, build our, uh, you know, build our ideas on. It, t- it takes the best example, of course, is the United States, which um, itself, you know, we uh, failed to live up to our founding ideals through the institution of slavery. Uh, we've, you know, we failed um, in, in different points of our past, the Jim Crow era, Reconstruction, all of those kinds of things. Um, but what's important for us to recognize today is that even with those things, our representative system allowed us to um, build a better life for future generations coming out of it, right? Uh, as a representative society, we were able to elect officials that helped us move away from slavery. That's remarkable, right? right. I mean, England did this before us, but um, France did it only to go back to slavery after they left it. Um, so to have a nation built on a set of ideas that purposefully and very intentionally, of course, through bloodshed and through the Civil War, um, uh, you know, did away with an institution that had been around for millennia is a remarkable um, story in world history. And, uh, and it, doesn't, it doesn't fit with the a progressive perspective that the United States is systemically racist and we have to skew the balance of justice in society to favor one group over another. So the American experience is based on values that are steeped in our culture, albeit they are dissipating, and the critical leftists are stuck on some sort of um, relativism relativism that's run amok. Yeah, not just relativism, but they um, they are trying to um, they're they're attached to this myth that we can have a utopia where the government sort of distributes goods to everyone and everyone will have exactly the same thing. And what they don't realize is that those people at the top who are deciding who gets what uh, eventually become tyrants. And we've seen that story play out over and over again from you know the Soviet Union to Maoist China uh, to what we're seeing today uh, in China to what we know has been happening in North Korea for many years. Um, so you know you have to recognize that uh, if we're going to protect the society that we have, uh, the idea of individual responsibility, the idea of individual agency and decision-making are all just vital freedoms that we've got to protect. Outstanding, Jonathan Butcher. Could not have said it better. Folks, give him a follow at J.M. Butcher. Jonathan Butcher, author of Splintered, Critical Race Theory and the Progressive War on Truth. I want to thank you for being here. You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, sir. Thank you. You bet. Godspeed. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez.
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you this Monday evening. If you want to join us in our third hour, which is right now, Open Phone America, you're welcome to call in on any topic of the day. Uh, our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And it's day three of the war on Israel. Uh, 11 Americans have been murdered, as uh, reports that I'm seeing, uh, over 900 murdered, 2,600 wounded, and it continues. Hamas is threatening to execute hostages every time they're hit with uh, another um, strike. It's crazy times. And, of course, some people are defending the fact that Hamas is... um, kidnapping women, kidnapping children, just brutalizing people. I saw one video of young, what I, I what appeared to be, based on the caption on social media, so I'm not sure how reliable it is, but I saw a video of what appeared to be young Palestinian children um, with young Israeli boys in the middle of like a circle, and they were taunting them. I think one of them had a stick in his hand, and uh, the Israeli boy was handcuffed. And uh, there were adults behind the camera kind of laughing at the whole thing. Everybody was laughing while they were beating these little kids. Little kids beating other little kids. And I thought, you know, so you make the little kids fight other little kids, but you won't fight. let the men fight the men. You're going to hide behind women and children. Whatever your defense is, whatever your thoughts of or Israel, they're an apartheid state, this, that, and the third, whatever and what have you. This isn't how you fight a war. And if it is... The world is changing in a very brutal way. I mean, we've seen this stuff in history, but we've gotten away with it, right? The the Geneva Conventions and other um, rules of engagement that seem to be obviously uh, disregarded here. And honestly, it's just, it's it's, uh, it's heart-wrenching. That's the case there, and we'll get to that in a little bit. I also want to talk about uh, 2024 domestic politics here in the United States. Listen to this one. RFK Jr. switches from Democrat to independent for his White House bid. And, of course, uh, RFK Jr., uh, I guess, viewed this as an uphill battle in his race against uh, Joe Biden, which I think many agreed, and wants to make sure that he's able to really bring it in the general election. So he did, in my opinion, the smart thing, and he's running as an independent. And he made that announcement today. We have the audio. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. And of course, the crowd is cheering and cheering and going on. And that goes on for a little bit. And uh, RFK Jr. wasn't done. He continued. But to do that, I must first declare my own independence. Independence from the Democratic Party. And 
banned from all other political parties. The country is sitting aside on, on top now of a powder keg. Americans are angry at being left out, left behind, swindled, cheated, and belittled by a smug elite that has rigged the system in its favor. Now, TheHill.com is describing uh, Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr. as a lawyer and proud vaccine skeptic who's formerly rivaled Biden and is now going uh, on an independent run with just over a year until Election Day with hopes of being like a splinter candidate, right? Um, a, a Ross Perot of sorts. And uh, I think he, listen, I, I saw the video. And I can tell you, I haven't really followed RFK Jr. that much. We invited him on the show. He hasn't accepted that invitation. Uh, when he does, you'll hear from him. But until then, all I can say is I, I only know what I've seen in the media. And I can tell you that I think he probably amassed one of the biggest crowds I've seen for, uh, you know, in comparison to his former opponent, Joe Biden, ever. I've never seen so many people get together for Joe Biden, but there was quite a few people in the crowd. And it tells me that there are still some... Kennedy Democrats out there. There are still some uh, vaccine skeptic Republicans. There are still some people that are independents and say, you know what, maybe it's time to bring a Kennedy back. I think there's a lot of people that would appreciate seeing Bobby Kennedy's son, RFK Jr., in the race for president, thinking that he might restore sense to the Democrat Party, make it about uh, what it was once about. Again, I don't know how many people there are, but it seems like there's there's a movement of that afoot in our country. And again, he's 69 years old. So uh, as an outsider, again, a very, um, a very uh, tough road uh, to, to travel. But again, not so much if Biden um, doesn't make it or if there's a contested convention and someone else ends up, you know, accepting the nomination, then it's a, it's a wild card. And I guess it's any, every man uh, for himself. And I think that might benefit him in, in more ways than one. So ideally, again, according to The Hill, his switch theoretically puts him closer to voters who are unhappy with both political parties and the hyper-partisan politics. And I get that. Listen, a lot of people always tell me, Rich, you're such a nice guy. How could you be a Republican? How could you be a conservative? <laughs> you know, and I laugh at that because I just think you know, it's, it, it seems to be the better choice for me uh, based on what I believe and how I view the world. But uh, I agree that there's plenty of uh, Republicans in name only, a.k.a. rhinos out there that that I'm not particularly fond of. And it's not I'm not married to every plank in the platform. And I think there's a lot of Americans that are the same way, that they don't want to be involved, but they feel like maybe I can be the tiebreaker. Maybe I can go with the independent here and, you know, not get a Republican, not get Trump, not get a DeSantis, not get, you know, any uh, conservative because they don't like conservatives. And I get that. But they feel like maybe this is their shot to get somebody who's truly independent. And if there's one thing that uh, RFK Jr. can prove today, I think it's that, that he's truly an independent, right? He's not part of the establishment. He's not part of the radical left that, in my opinion, has really influenced and continues to influence the Democrat Party as we know it today. He's not part of that crew. He's not a conservative Republican by any means. I used to listen to his show just for like my my own um, uh, comic relief. Right. He had a radio show on Air America, W-L-I-B, W liberal uh, in New York City. And uh, for years I would, you know, I would I would switch on his station and then they moved to 1600 on the dial and I would listen. And I thought, you know, 
while he was a good broadcaster, despite whatever um, vocal ailment he has, uh, I think he was an interesting person to listen to when he had something interesting to say. But for the most part, I think that the show wasn't that great from a radio perspective. It wasn't something I could listen to for the entirety of the show. And a lot of radio isn't, including myself. Uh, a lot of people just take you know bits and pieces because of their schedule or they can only handle so much of one person. I get that. But I can tell you it wasn't great radio, uh, but he but he is a good broadcaster and he's effective at communicating his message. And uh, I, I'm really curious to see if more and more Americans, undeclared, independents, start to gravitate toward him in this independent run. I guess only time will tell. Plus, I'd like to know what you think. Give me a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, my America at Night amigos. We're coming right back to your calls momentarily. But first, I want to go over a couple of things. Right. Because, you know, last month, well, first of all, when they open parliament in Iran, they start with this chant of death to America, death to Israel, death to the big Satan, death to the little Satan. And they chant this with all of their passion, all of their vigor, because they absolutely hate the United States and they absolutely hate Israel. If they had it their way, they would wipe them right off the face of the earth. And I think they're trying to do that in so much as this attack and everything else that they're trying to do. However, it's uh, proving to be difficult for them. That's why they're resorting to these tactics, because they're they're cowards that want to kidnap women and children, put them in cages, rape them, do whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, And I say that because, again, I saw the one woman that was seemingly um, bleeding um, from that area of her body in the the one uh, video that I saw, the first video I saw, which is absolutely horrific. And can't even say she's a woman with any certitude. She might be a teenage girl, for all I know. But absolutely sickening and horrifying. And when you have these members of parliament in Iran opening up that way, after getting $6 billion from Joe El Baboso Biden, all you can think, at least all I could think was, America needs to do better. We're literally complicit in what's going on. And we're not complicit with the solution. We're complicit with the problem. Listen to these uh, members of parliament opening their session, their parliamentary session in Iran. You can hear the vitriol in their chanting in unison, death to America, death to Israel. 
They absolutely can't stand our country. And listen, that's their prerogative to do so, whether they want to stand us or not. Uh, but you can't go kidnapping women and children just because you don't like a, a couple of different people. I mean, just you just can't do it. It's not acceptable. And anybody who's saying, well, what other choices they have, you're a coward too. You just don't do that. And when you have the president of Iran, this is what, a month ago? On the 20th of September, he tells Fareed Zakaria on CNN, listen, no, 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 Biden's giving our money back. We will do what we want with this money. This money belongs to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Check this out. As you know, the U.S. government uh, says that the people in Iran were unjustly arrested and imprisoned. Um, But there was also a piece of this deal, which was the release of several billion dollars of, uh, of, uh, of money, uh, which has been earmarked to be used only for humanitarian reasons. Uh, it is being monitored from Qatar. Will Iran abide by that part of the agreement and use that money only for humanitarian reasons? Well, you see, these funds belong to the people of Iran. Up to now, they were unjustly and unfairly blocked. These were funds belonging to the Iranian nation. Naturally, when these funds come back, they will have to be spent towards the needs that address, towards objectives that address the needs of the Iranian people. And we will certainly uh, keep to the core of our belief that the objective is to is to spend those funds to respond to the needs of the Iranian people. So, of course, again, that is the president of Iran speaking to a translator on CNN on September 20th, saying Iran will spend the money how they feel fit. It's our money. It belongs to us. Again, this was money that was sanctioned by the United States. And Joe El Baboso Biden, the president of the United States, he decided to allow Iran to have their money back after we'd sanctioned them. Again, why that happens, I don't know. It's kind of like you, you tell your kid you're grounded. You're not allowed to use the car. And then you're like, all right, all right. So listen, take the car. Here's my car. Here's your mother's car. Take every car we have. Hold on a second. Since when do we negotiate with terrorists? And, and that's exactly what's happening here, in my opinion. Uh, but the, the folks in the Biden administration, they are out and about making sure that they are spinning this into the most uh, positive light they can. And uh, we've got, let's see, what is this? Cut number seven of John Finer. Deputal, de, take two. I can't speak tonight. Deputy National Security Advisor. Uh, speaking on Fox News Sunday, saying, look, not a single dollar from the Iran hostage deal was spent on Hamas and their most recent attack. Listen to this. Uh, look, we've been quite clear that we just have a fundamentally different view of this situation and that we believe those criticisms uh, are not well-founded and, and frankly, inaccurate. Any implication uh, that money that has not yet been spent, not a single dollar of that money has yet been spent, uh, it had any role in, in the attacks uh, that took place and planning them, in equipping uh, the parties that conducted them, uh, just frankly doesn't make any sense. And as we've been clear, that money can only be spent on humanitarian items, on food, on agricultural products, on medicine, uh, that sort of thing. We're going to be watching that very closely as well. Uh, And if Iran spends that money in ways that it's not supposed to, uh, we will know. And so uh, I think the facts are are quite clearly on our side of this debate. But if Iran knows it's getting $6 billion worth of breathing room, is it not fair to assess and have a conversation about whether they then 
would think the funds they do have in-house that are already at their disposal could be spent in nefarious ways. Uh, we expect that this money is only going to be spent over a, a fairly extended period of time, uh, years, not weeks, not months, uh, and that spending money on stuff, uh, food items, uh, agricultural products, medicines that benefits the Iranian people, uh, but that does not benefit the Iranian military is, is frankly not related to the discussion that we're having uh, today. <laughs> uh, that's John Finer, Deputy National Security Advisor in the Biden administration, on with Sharon, uh, Shannon Bream, excuse me, on the Fox News Channel yesterday. And I got to tell you, this one here, are you concerned that they already have money in the bank and that they could go ahead and do that knowing that they're getting this money from you for humanitarian aid? His answer is no, no, we would never imagine that people that open their parliamentary session screaming death to America, death to the big Satan and the little Satan, that they would uh, ever, ever do such a thing. They're always going to follow our rules because they're just such model citizens. I mean, absolute insanity to think that you could trust uh, people that are the largest uh, funder of terrorism around the globe. I mean, is it just me? I don't understand. Uh, I've got to tell you, I think it's absolutely crazy. Something else that I think is absolutely crazy is the fact that they're using children as human shields. Now, this is very disheartening. Disheartening because it's not the way you fight. And again, so many people, I hear a lot of people defending this uh, strategy of hiding in hospitals, hiding in elementary schools, throwing, a, 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 launching a rocket and then going somewhere that's very heavily populated to begin with and to use, you know, children as, as a human shield. Absolutely unacceptable in my opinion. But that's where we are. So, folks, I just want to give you the uh, phone number again because I won't have time in this segment to get to your calls, but I will momentarily. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. Of course, you're always welcome to chime in online. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Truth Social, and pretty much all of the other social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. And, of course, our phone number, if you want to join us live on Open Phone America and weigh in so that you can be heard, our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, straight ahead, we're going to continue uh, with your calls, your um, reactions to all of these things, and we're going to continue our talk from earlier about the attack on the family, the attack on school kids, the attack on parents, and so much more. So please don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. Congratulations on this is an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So while I am sad and cope, trying to cope, I'll be honest, I am angry. I am angry with the world that allowed the dehumanization of Israelis and sanitized the terrorism of Hamas. I must say, I love this show and I love this network. 
But I've got to ask, who is writing the scripts? Hamas, the people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants. And I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. All right, so that is the uh, head of the ADL, the, um, what is that, the Anti-Defamation League, um, Jonathan Greenblatt, and uh, getting ripped uh, over MSNBC or ripping MSNBC over calling Hamas terrorists fighters, <laughs> asking who's actually writing the scripts. And, of course, where is Joe El Baboso Biden when you need him? When uh, we're on day three of this war, where is he? Well, when he's not lighting up the White House in blue and white to honor Bibi Netanyahu and the Israelis, well, he's having a cookout. <laughs> to the phones we go, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to uh, undisclosed location near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF, and check in with Matt. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yes, sir. Rich, how you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. Happy Monday. You too. Um, actually, 80 miles north of Moorhead City, who cares? But uh, if it's close enough. But but what's important is what you just mentioned. I cannot believe the disconnect, if you will, of the next day after the invasion of, of Israel and Biden's having a cookout on the White House lawn. I mean... How demented can a man be and be in a white? It's, it's just, you know what I mean? Go ahead. Well, you know, Matt, I could just imagine Joe El Baboso Biden being on the phone with us saying, well, come on, man, I got hairy legs. Brothers got to eat. You know, I got it. They're killing the Middle East on fire. But uh, we're, we're going to fire up the barbecue and eat some good old. Uh, you know, I mean, that's I, I, I am so disappointed in Joe Biden um, from the border to the economy, to all of his foreign policy disasters. Uh, I just, it's just an utter disappointment. And you're right. Where, where is the, the any level of, of Kuth? How is it that he is so tone deaf? He's not tone deaf. He doesn't care is the problem. He's like, oh, they're killing each other. Okay, no problem. I mean, he's literally the problem, not the solution to the problem. He is the problem. I don't believe uh, with a stronger, I, I don't believe, I just don't believe that had we had a, a better leader that we'd still be in this conflict. And again, we're not in the conflict. Israel's in the conflict, but Israel is a uh, sponsor, right? I mean, uh, an ally. And um, when they're faced with those who sponsor terrorism, we've got a problem, Houston. So uh, again, I'm disappointed, not surprised at Joe Biden having a cookout in the White House because this is exactly what Biden does. Matt. Yes, sir. And it's a, it's a real shame. So what would you have done? What do you think Biden should do other than lighting up the White House in, in blue and white lights? I think he should have more than a one or two minute uh, press conference uh, Saturday and, uh, you know, say something relevant. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think he's going to do that. I think that's all he's promised to do is he said, we're, we've got your back, BB. And we're, you know, he's going to give a speech and uh, he's going to feel like he did something great when he gives his speech and his additional comments. 
Uh, but ultimately, what I think he should do, I think he should do what Trump would have done, which is immediately come to the assistance of Ukraine and make a strong statement and say, listen, the United States is fully prepared to defend our ally in the Middle East because the only reason they did this. See, and this is the problem, right? If, if you're walking down the street with your wife and somebody right in front of you decides to make a pass at her or say something disrespectful to her. Clearly, it's disrespect to you because they didn't respect you enough to make that statement or, or to make that statement. Well, I think it's the same thing here. When you know you have an ally of the United States and you go ahead and you flex on that ally, it's because you don't respect the strength or the resolve of the United States. And I think that's exactly what we see here. And it's lamentable and it's disappointing. But um, sadly, it's not surprising. Matt, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Again, the phone number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. So in the latest edition of Who Can We Blame and How Do We Blame the Good Guys, Tim Ballard, the real-life um, inspiration for that movie, The Sound of Freedom, is now being sued by five women who claim that they went undercover with him and posed as his girlfriend or wife and that to maintain their cover, he um, and they made it look like they were a couple engaging in everything short of penetration in various stages of dress. And I say this stinks to high heaven of another attack on people. Uh, why didn't they call the cops? Why didn't they do anything? And again, I know, oh, now you're going to blame the victim. This happens time and again. We've seen it with Brett Kavanaugh. We've seen it with Trump. We've seen it with anybody who comes out. They want to tarnish you and they hit you with the rape allegation, but not as a crime, as a lawsuit. I'm not buying it. That's my uh, story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, I also want you to hear a clip of audio. It's, uh, it's about a minute long and it's of a guy named Mr. Youssef. And Mr. Youssef is addressing the United Nations. He's a former member of Hamas, and he denounces the leaders of Palestine for carrying out the attacks and for blaming Israel for it. Listen to this. I take the floor on behalf of the UN Watch. My name is Musab Hassan Youssef. I grew up in Ramallah as a member of Hamas. I address the words to the Palestinian Authority which claims to be the sole legitimate representative of the Palestinian people. I ask, where does your leg legitimacy come from? The Palestinian people did not elect you. 
and they did not appoint you to represent them. You are self-appointed. Your accountability is not to your own people. This is evidenced by your own total violation for their human rights. In fact, the Palestinian individual and their human development is the least of your concerns. You kidnap Palestinian students from campus and torture them in your jails. You torture your political rivals. The suffering of the Palestinian people is the outcome of your selfish political interest. You are the greatest enemy of the Palestinian people. If Israel did not exist, you would have no one to, to blame. Take responsibility for the outcome of your own actions. You fan the flames of conflict to maintain your abusive power. Finally, you use this platform to mislead the international community, to mislead the Palestinian society, to believe that Israel is responsible for the problem you create. Thank you. And, uh, of course, that's uh, an oldie but a goodie brought to you by UN Watch. And uh, they do great work on calling out um, the the lies that they see with, with these terrorists that are terrorists claiming to be freedom fighters or revolutionaries or whatever they want to label themselves. And it's, uh, again, it's just, it's it's sick. It's, it's like, the, like the Biden administration saying they're doing something good for America. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a warped sense of reality. It's like living in bizarro world. Let's get to your calls. Uh, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. Let's go to Allison, Portland, Maine, WLOB. Go right ahead. Hola. Um, yeah, I just, I don't worry. I might get it over my head again with the way I did with uh, talking about Ukraine last week. But I just, I can't see things as horrible as what's happening and what's happened is I can't just see things from just black and white or just black and white. I mean, the, the Palestinians have been so treated so horribly for 70 years now. And it, it's, if something had been done a long time ago, some kind of state, you know, dual state thing, now I don't think that's ever going to happen. But it's always just the one side. And, you know, um, I listen to the BBC World Service at night a lot when I'm not listening to you. You know, it's after you're on. And um, I get a lot of news. And the Palestinians are killed all the time for one reason or another, you know, by Israeli forces. And, um, and, and again, I'm not trying to justify this insane attack and everything, but, it, but if, it, it just seems it's always this, it's always the white hats and the black hats, and I just feel that's very self-defeating, or just defeating for everyone, you know, right? And, uh, I don't disagree with you. Listen, uh, and I say that with, um, with this caveat. I realize that there's a conflict. Uh, I don't know, as a matter of fact, when the Palestinian Authority or Hamas or even Hezbollah or anybody else that's come or Iran comes to the aid of of the Palestinians <clears throat> and says that the Israelis have arbitrarily been killing Palestinians. Uh, I, I don't believe that as a matter of fact, but I can't say that it, it it's um, that it's not happening. Right. I know they're dying. And I think that there's been debate on this. I had a very good friend, a group of friends growing up uh, that were Palestinian and didn't keep in touch with all of them as we all got older. But one of them I stayed in touch with on social media. And every now and again, he would ask me, now, why are you a Zionist? Why are you defending them? Don't you realize what they're doing to the Palestinian youth and the way that the apartheid Israeli state is, is mistreating my people, my homeland, my ancestors? And, and I really uh, was sympathetic to listening, and I would get in these very long debates, and, 
and and um, really discussions, not even debates, because I wasn't debating any particular perspective. I was listening to what he had to say, and, and I agree that we need a solution here. We can't have a perpetual war based on the idea that the uh, Balfour Accords that were signed way back when, when um, the UK brokered the deal um, f- for uh, this this current conflict uh, over the division of real estate. And, and what I can say is, the United States fought a war, and we fought a war against England, and we gained these thirteen colonies. The United States fought again. Uh, in the Spanish-American War and acquired Puerto Rico, just as an example. Uh, Many people get into wars, and and there is a consequence of war. Some people win, some people lose, and to to the victor go the spoils, right, as the saying goes. So, I mean, if there's an issue with the Balfour Accords, which I, I, I believe there is in their opinion, they're saying this was unfair, they've taken our ancestral land, et cetera, et cetera. The Israelis saying, excuse me, we 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 want we marched through Israel for forty for forty uh, for forty years, right? According to the uh, the biblical account, um, that this is their land. It's the land of milk and honey and whatnot. Uh, I, I get it. <clears throat> I understand that each of them is laying a claim, but at some point, right? At some point, we do have to acknowledge the fact that this is an issue that was at least on paper resolved, and they've been trying to negotiate ever since. Uh, I I have seen videos all over the place sent to me by people. Uh, You see these Israeli soldiers taking aim at at usually young Palestinian men and shooting them in the kneecap, knocking their, you know, every part of their leg from the knee down right off of their body. And this was presented to me as you see how the Israelis treat us. However, other angles of the same videos were sent to me showing that there was uh, them antagonizing, them inviting the situation, them coming with baby carriages and dressed like women but with suicide vests on and other things and sneak attacking. So the Israelis are responding with non-lethal force and shooting them in the leg. And again, until you see both sides of the story, it's, it's challenging. Now, I'm not saying that there's only one good guy and there's one bad guy. I'm sure like anything in life, there are good radio hosts and bad ones. There are good cops and there are bad ones. There are good teachers and there are bad ones. There's always going to be a group of people that are just not on the level. And I understand that as a good, decent human being, uh, most of us as good, decent human beings, we tend to think, look, nobody here is blameless. But in this situation, as it stands today with the kidnapping of women and children in the streets and these the surprise attack um i get it most people don't announce their attack like putin did by amassing you know troops uh, on the border of his nation ready to go into ukraine however the fact that they've resulted uh, or resorted to this level of chaos and barbarism to me it, it kind of makes any argument they may have had uh, null and void, because you just don't do that. And I know you said that in your comments, Allison, and I appreciate that. I think if you want to have discussions, have your discussions. You know, I, I've never had to resolve an issue like this, so I, I wouldn't even know where to start. But I can say that you don't go and kidnap women and children and then say for every time you fire a rocket, 
we're going to uh, execute another hostage. You just don't do that. To me, that is uh, such a horrible place to, to live and operate in. And I understand it's war, but this is one that I just don't feel was necessary. They took advantage of the situation with time. They took advantage of the weakness in the White House. They took advantage of knowing that Joe Biden just gave uh, back $6 billion in sanctions to the uh, Iranians who typically fund these types of things. So at the end of the day, I have to say, whatever your argument was is now unlistenable because you've crossed the line and you've gone too far with the women and children. Allison, thank you for your call. Big shout out to Portland, Maine, WLOB. I appreciate your listenership. And folks, we get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead in the speed round. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's the speed round, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Andrew Clinton, Illinois, W-H-O-W. Andrew, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Good evening again, Mr. Valdez. Hey, I think it's pretty obvious to most people at this point in the Ukraine war that, that probably would never have happened had uh, Mr. Trump been reelected. Unfortunately, we have El Baboso in the White House now. You just alluded to it on the last block. The weakness in the White House, I think, has also... Uh, kind of encouraged the Palestinians to move back again against Israel. And it's tragic. It's terrible. We need someone with competence, someone that leads with strength on the international level. And we just don't have that right now, unfortunately. Uh, Andrew, you're so right, in my opinion. I I don't think we'd escape. We cannot escape that reality, that things would be better if we had a stronger leader, whoever that leader would be. I opt for Trump. But whatever you like, just not Joe Biden. This guy is no good. I don't think Harris would be any better. Uh, We're in bad shape, and I think it's an excellent point. Let's go to Jane, Saratoga, New York, WGDJ, quickly. Okay. Hi, Rich. Yes. I attended attended a rally in 2008 where Obama and Biden were there. They were up on a podium, and they started to play the national anthem. They had everyone put their hands over their hearts and, and sang, except for those two. When they came down, I walked up to them and said, excuse me, why were you the only two who did not acknowledge or honor the flag? And Biden said in his little puppet way, why would we? Unbelievable, Jane. Thank you for your call. Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Uh, RIP to Governor Schwinden in Montana. And yes, there are mountains made of garbage in Montana. There's also an island made out of garbage in New York City. It's called Manhattan. True story. That was a landfill once. Big shout out to my buddy Frank, KOFI. I'm Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.